Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Good Friday, the busiest travel day of the year. You might be sitting in a traffic jam waiting for a train, you might be being bussed away from a station from which there are no trains running, or you could be navigating your way around the eco-nutters at Heathrow Airport. Whatever you're doing, stay exactly where you are for the next three hours as we keep you informed about everything that is going on. Up first, we'll bring you the latest from Northern Ireland, where last night a journalist was shot dead as some of the worst riots in decades took place in Derry. Dissident IRA groups are now being blamed for the terrorist incident which resulted from hours of petrol bombing, attacks on the police and stone-throwing demonstrators. Now, uh, I don't know about you, uh, but that is one of the worst headlines I think I've seen all of this year. I thought we'd been told that a hard border in Ireland would mean a return to the bad old days of the Troubles. Well, guess what? It looks to me as though the Troubles have never actually gone away. We'll be crossing live there very shortly. 0344 uh, 499-1000. Coming up later on, we'll also be crossing live to Heathrow to find out what the eco-narcissists are up to today as they try to disrupt everyone's Easter holidays. Isn't it great that Emma Thompson has taken the trouble to fly all the way back from Los Angeles to tell us to stop flying anywhere? Are these people serious? Are these people having a laugh? Are these people completely and utterly deluded? Activists are calling for a climate emergency declaration from the government. Well, guess what? The government is still on holiday. The government are not sitting in Westminster. It's Easter weekend. Get the hell out of London. Get the hell off Waterloo Bridge. And get the hell back to whichever hole you swam out from. 0344 499 1000. We'll be checking in uh, with the battle of the sexes a little bit later on. And the Mueller report into Donald Trump in the US. Of A. And because it's Easter, we might even have a little chocolate tasted to bring you as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344-499-1000. Lots of you are calling in. We will get to you. We're going to talk to Grant Harold in a moment about Meghan Markle uh, and the impending royal birth, of course. Uh, Paul says on Twitter, I've just seen a young woman being interviewed on Sky. Poor girl was in tears, claiming we are the last generation on earth. Whoever is brainwashing these kids are extremely dangerous and they need rounding up. I think that's right. Uh, Grandpa says, most likely it stems from climate change absolutism in schools. These people actually want to jam the roads so much, we just throw away our car. 
cars uh, and zero carbon says what would help is to read the peer-reviewed science or material from the authors of this science applying the precautionary principle to the uncertainty in the science would lead you to better appreciate where extinction rebellion is coming from that's absolute rubbish right because the, the point about what extinction rebellion are doing and what they are saying uh, which is completely and utterly misconceived and wrong which is that the earth is about to die the earth is about to overheat to such an extent uh, that there will be climate refugees that we will be fighting wars over water that the food will all run out it's all absolute and utter nonsense uh, dean says the police won't be dancing in the streets or skateboarding if football fans take to the streets demonstrating like these extinction rebellion people well i think that's absolutely right let's talk to colin uh, who's in newcastle hello colin good morning mike good morning how are you doing we spoke before you know i'm a retired person. yes um obviously what's happening in london is the other extreme what's happened in Northern Ireland. First of all, I'd like to, um, so my, uh, well, well, my, well, not condolences, but yeah. Uh, yeah, to the Irish police. Well, it's, well, oh, it's yeah. terrifying, isn't it, that, that the Irish police are having to put up with someone firing live rounds of ammunition at them? They're very, very cops. I was there last year for a conference hosted by the PSNI. Yeah. And to be honest, my heart goes out to those guys. They're, they're very brave. Uh, I admire them a lot. I wouldn't like to do what they do. No. Just to first of all say, we British cops, thank goodness we're not in Northern Ireland. But getting back to today's matter, this is the other extreme, the other side of the coin, where mm. these, these people are non-violent, non-threatening, they're not shooting at us, not throwing bricks. Um, they're, they're no, but they are disrupting day-to-day -day, uh, business yeah. for people. Yeah, of course they are. But is that a criminal offence? The, the only, I mean, I know the Home Secretary said use the full weight of the law, and I'd like to know what law he thinks we're using or we can use, because if they're not threatening, they're not causing violence, they're sitting down peacefully, they have a right under the Human Rights Act um, endorsed by the Conservatives to uh, right to demonstrate and such like. And also... Yeah, but is it not? People asked me this question yesterday, and I think I'm right in saying that you do have to ask permission to demonstrate uh, still because you need to make sure that the authorities are on your side when you do so. What you're not um, permitted to do is to occupy, for example, Waterloo Bridge for four days in a row, preventing all movement of traffic backwards and forwards across that thoroughfare. Because if I parked yes. my car there, you can bet your bottom dollar it would not be there for more than five minutes before somebody came and towed it away. Yes, yeah, so a car's not human beings. So that obstruction... Well, what if I was sitting in it, though? Um, you, you, well, if we couldn't get you out, that's happened before. We had stories where policemen have tried to use people out of cars, they smash windows, hmm. and that policeman ended up being prosecuted for criminal damage. So that's the law of the land. So unfortunately, if you sat in a car, if you scout, we couldn't get... So you're telling me I could go take my car today, finish this uh, show, go and park it on Battersea Bridge, uh, sit in it, and they wouldn't do anything? I don't um, believe that. Well, yes, I think so. I mean, I'd love to say we could jack up your car and put it in the back of a van, but I've tried that once before, and, I, you know, it's not working. Now, the, the only offence they're doing is committing obstruction of the Highway Act. It's a Highway Act. I'm sure that there were a few drug offences going on as well, I would imagine. Um, well, you, you can imagine that, but until we got proof, which is what we need, evidence of that. Well, you know, I bet, well, how about walking past and smelling somebody smoking a joint? I mean, you know, that's proof, isn't it? No, not uh, Theresa May introduced new stop and stop and search laws back in 19, uh, 2015, where we had to specific intelligence related to drug offences, and under the training we got, that is not enough to stop and search someone. Really? So, so again, somebody smoking a joint in front of a police officer is no, not sufficient. Said that you said smelling it. But in it is not enough. If you smoke it, that's a fence in front of the police officers. Then we'd arrest. Well, how do you think they're smelling it if they're not smoking it? Well, you see where we're going here, mate. Colin. You're ringing me up to tell me something that can't be done when it's blatantly obvious that they could do anything they want if they want to do it. They clearly they don't want to do it because they don't know what to do. 
because we haven't got the laws to do it. Yeah, I've got, got plenty of laws. They've arrested 400 what? people, Colin. What, what have they what arrested them for? Highway. Well, what, uh, have they what, arrested, what have they arrested them for? Obstruction of the highway. I just right. five minutes ago. So what else should we do? Well, we should you lock them up. Come on, we should, well, I told you yesterday, her. if you were listening to the show, we should fine them 40,000 quid each and make them pay back the money that has been missing uh, from the Exchequer thanks to their recklessness. And we should ban them and give them banning orders, like you can ban people from football grounds, ban them from central London. There are many ways you can stop this happening, but they haven't got the That's imagination right. or the will to do it. Well, fine. We'll go and tell that to the Home Secretary. Well, he oh, you just asked me what we laws. could do. I've just told you the answer. Well, tell that to the Home Secretary. Well, I will if he comes on. He hasn't rung me today. Well, no, you ring him up. You have the guts to ring him up and tell him. I've got guts to do any number of things, Colin. No, you haven't. Oh, you're telling me I haven't got any guts? No, of course not. What the hell are you on? What the hell are you on? Have you been smoking some funny cigarettes or something? (laughs) I'm not even sure you are a real police officer, Colin. You just keep saying you are. Yes, mate. I've retired. If you also listen, I said I retired three months ago. Yeah, I know, but you used to be a working police officer and used to ring this show regularly to say you were still working as a police officer. Yes, I retired after 30 years. My, right. At least uh, my service been... Well, you seem to have lost your marbles in the meantime. People. No, Mike, I haven't lost my marbles. I, was, I put my life... You've just told me I have no guts, which I find to be particularly offensive, and I don't know where you get that from. Well, I find we find it particularly offensive that you criticise us, but you haven't got the guts to criticise the people who invent the law. I criticise the Home Secretary, I criticise Parliament, I criticise... No, I criticise the government all the time, Colin. What are you talking about? Did you just say that they should introduce those laws? Well, why don't you phone up the Home Secretary or your Home Office, explain to them that this is what you're... They're on holiday, Colin. Well, next time they come back... OK, then. All right, Colin. I'll ring them up and tell them on your behalf. OK, how's that? Thanks very much indeed. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Now, some of you will have been very disturbed to wake up this morning to the news uh, that there's been a murder in Northern Ireland. There has not been a terrorist attack. Uh, There has not been a terrorist incident, although that is indeed what the uh, police are calling it. This is a murder straightforward uh, and straight up there. A woman, a young woman, 29 years of age, has been shot dead by dissident IRA people uh, in a uh, demonstration in Derry, uh, which the police have characterised as a situation where they just wanted to cause trouble, where they just wanted to uh, make sure that violence was the winner, where they wanted to throw petrol bombs at police cars and police vans, set fire to a few things and actually shoot people. You know what? I'm disgusted by what's been going on in Northern Ireland and I've been disgusted by what's been going on in Northern Ireland for quite some decades um, uh, from now. We were told, of course, after the Good Friday Agreement that it was all fine and dandy to get rid of loads and loads of terrorists and take them all out of the prison cells that they were sitting in and free them all because that would be the best way to make sure peace continued in Northern Ireland. We keep being warned now over the Brexit scenario that if we don't have uh, um, an open border, if we have a hard border, then the troubles will return. Well, let me tell you something. The troubles have never gone away. And we're going over there now to talk to Ricky Thompson, news editor at U105 in Belfast. Ricky, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us, Ricky. I mean, it's true to say, is it not, that the dissident uh, IRA factions have been sort of knocking around now for several years, involved in sort of low-level crime, petty crime, uh, a little bit of kneecapping here and there, a little bit of violence here and there. But this is a massively upscaled event, isn't it? Yes, I mean, there, there have been elements of criminality that have, of course, continued on from the troubles. We did have the, the peace agreement in 1998, but yeah. unfortunately, there have been some factions who have continued um, what they would call their struggle um, through the years. And um, most recently, of course, in, in Derry, we had a, a bomb explode outside the courthouse there. So this is just the latest escalation and obviously the, the worst possible type of escalation of violence that we've seen. And uh, it's very sad, as you said, 29-year-old um, 
Lyra McKee, a journalist doing her job out in the streets in the in the Craigan area of mm. Derry, and just caught up in in uh, shots which were were aimed at police by by dissidents. It's uh, really tragic news for for everyone here, everyone across the UK and the world, seeing this this morning, and really for there's so much, so many tributes being paid by by local journalists and and um, politicians and people who who knew her. She really had a, such an impact on people. Right. And what's believed to be the catalyst for this particular eruption last night? Because you know, as you say, there's, there was a bomb recently, um, but nobody, certainly on the mainland of this country, realised that that things had sort of heated up again, if you like. Yes, well, the, the the sad reality of it is that um, although uh, most things that that do go on, um, there are still, as you mentioned earlier, um, knee cappings as they're called, and other shootings, punishment shootings. Mm. All of these things have been going on in the background, yeah. and um, I, they're reported here on a on a, a weekly, almost you know every every other few days. Every few days, we have something else reported, and I suppose this wouldn't be picked up more across the UK. Mm. It has been rumbling on, and. Um, it, it has come to to a head last night. What what happened was p- police were moving in to um, uh, do some searches in the the Craigan area of Derry. They had intelligence that led them to believe there was um, there were firearms and ammunition which were being stored in certain areas. They were moving in to um, to to disrupt that and to, uh, to 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 find those items because they were afraid that dissidents were planning to target police over the Easter weekend. This all ties into the. Uh, the annual commemorations for the Easter Rising in 1916. Right. And uh, so police were being uh, proactive and going in there. And, of course, uh, the, the presence of the police in the area caused um, uh, people to come out on, onto the streets, mostly young people we, uh, we've seen. And, unfortunately, it, it led to this incident. And uh, the, the, there has been footage that was filmed, uh, which seems to be from uh, the, the side of the, the rioters. And it shows a gunman with a handgun firing in the direction of, of police. You can hear the shots and you can hear screaming. It, it's really, um, it, it's horrible stuff. And the fact that this is happening still in uh, in Derry in 2019, 21 years on from the, the Good Friday Agreement, yeah. which was supposed to have ended all of this. And also many, many more years on and many more decades on from Bloody Sunday, of course, which we are now focused on because uh, of, the comp- of, of the upcoming prosecution of one of the British soldiers. Uh, in fact, I think there's two now uh, who are being charged uh, and are going to face trial over it. And you wonder, I wonder, and I don't know whether you're able to talk about this at all, uh, but I wonder, Ricky, whether the whole kind of dredging up of the Bloody Sunday effects and, and, and what happened that day have also kind of ratcheted things up a little bit. Well, as you say, these things have have never have never gone away, yeah. and there have there have been, and as you mentioned in your intro, um, Brexit has been uh, has been in play as well. People have been talking about a return to violence at the borders, and I suppose a number of things have have culminated. I'm not sure if the, if they have directly fed into to what happened last night. It seems to have been a direct response to police going in um, with their planned operations to find those uh, guns and and ammunition, and you know, that that's not. Um, that's not unusual at times whenever police are carrying out yeah. operations in certain parts of Northern Ireland. They are attacked and um, they expect it, and that's why they go in in force yeah. um, to, to defend themselves. But I'm assuming they're not expecting live rounds to be fired at them because that really is, as I said earlier, a kind of a step up in aggression, isn't it? Yes, well, it, um, I, I suppose I, they, they wouldn't expect it. They certainly wouldn't hope for it. It's always a possibility, mm. and uh, they're, they're trained for this. And again, that's why they go in and they have armoured Land Rovers. Um, they, they go in with their their, um, their heavy gear. It looks like they lost a couple of those last night to the fire bombs, though. Yes, well, a few, a couple of vehicles were uh, were hijacked and burnt out. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, again it's just uh, to, to see those pictures coming out of Derry is distressing for for everyone and uh, people so many people have been calling on the uh, the, the dissidents and, and anyone else involved the rioters to just stop that's, yeah. that's it's as simple as that people are just saying stop mm. and this has gone too far um, I, I, there's a, a journalist, Leona O'Neill, who um, was tweeting last night. She was standing next to Lyra whenever she was shot. Yeah. And um, she called the ambulance and she said that she's just sick to her stomach. And she's covered, she covers um, stories in Derry on a daily basis. Mm. She's, she's one of the, the, the biggest voices uh, in journalism in the city. And um, she was there covering it, and uh, as were other journalists, as was uh, Lyra. And it's just so unfortunate that... Yeah. Shots were fired um, indiscriminately towards police um, by uh, by. But this is the thing. I mean, that's what I find so ridiculous that we're even just talking in quite a calm way about this, as though uh, it's something that we should be expecting to happen. I find it staggering, really, after all these years, Ricky, that that we're still having to face this not this nightmare of violence. I mean, what's the community doing? Are they outing this person who shot the the, the gun? Are they are they making sure that they're cooperating with the police? I suspect the answer to that is no. Well, the, the police face an ongoing difficulty uh, in that respect mm. in that um, many uh, many people in the community, of course, do um, denounce it. 99.9% of the people across Northern Ireland um, would, would be against the people carrying this out. And the problem is that what people are saying is that this small group of people who just want to carry this on don't listen. They don't care about the community. They don't care about the people around them. They're just focusing on what they want, and they're, they're just going ahead. We, we've had um, politicians from all um, all sides of the, the community coming out and condemning this, calling on them to stop. People yeah. who, who, who may have links with um, those carrying out the, these acts are telling them to stop, but it just the message just doesn't seem to be going yeah. through, unfortunately. I mean, funnily enough, I was listening to an earlier a guest on The Breakfast Show that John Nicholson did, and uh, uh, the, the earlier guest was saying that Martin McGuinness actually was quite a, a significant figure in Derry uh, while he was alive, and that he kind of was able to keep a lid on quite a lot of this paramilitary activity. Is that your understanding as well? I, to be honest, I, I, I wouldn't uh, know the intricacies of, of what um, relationships Martin McGuinness would have had with the people uh, in the city. Of course, he was uh, he was an IRA commander yeah. um, in, in the early days of the Troubles. He, he would have had uh, a certain level of influence, um, but it, it, could, um, it could be said that certainly in the latter years, uh, the elements who have sprung up since the Good Friday Agreement um, wouldn't have been in agreement with um, the likes of Martin McGuinness and others who, who turned to uh, a peaceful way of things and um, maybe you know even his voice wouldn't necessarily mm. have been listened to and perhaps it is that just um, maybe that that he is gone. Maybe there there are certain elements of influence that are that are um, being lost in yeah. the city. But hopefully um, that's not the case and that this hopefully this will be a catalyst for people to really step back and just look at what's happening and think sure. this should not have happened and nothing like this should happen again. Yep. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. been a bit of a weird show today. There's been a lot of uh, interesting people ringing in. Uh, lots of them are out there on the Twitter sphere now. I've just had a tweet from uh, uh, Brexit Battalion, uh, who's shown me a picture of uh, Oliver Twist holding a bowl out and says, hashtag child abuse, Mike, because I've got Oliver here with me. Uh, very good morning to you. Or good afternoon, good I afternoon, say. Yeah. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Yeah, he is, good. of course, Oliver Graham. Uh, he's my third uh, yeah. oldest child, third. right? Third oldest child, uh, yeah. oldest of the two that we have currently living with us in uh, Sussex, yeah. and uh, you're here to taste some chocolate because we have Mark Machado here, who is the uh, owner and operator of Confectionery Cast. I am, yes, which is a podcast about chocolate, right? Yeah. So we, what we do is we get someone well known, like yourself, possibly, okay. and uh, we just talk to them about what their favourite chocolate is. Okay. They pick a chocolate and then we we chew like, over it, like or... one chocolate bar, that sort of yeah. thing, or can it be a particular type of chocolate? Oh no, so it's a, it's a particular chocolate bar. So it might be, for example, Boost. So you might come on and t- uh, okay. talk to me about you, you know your. Relationship I mean, I can talk about most things. I'm not sure yeah. I could do half an hour on Boost. Well, normally we do stray off the topic quite a do lot. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. normally, what it does is it does trigger memories <laughs> from back from yeah, you know, from so. back in the day. Because also the British have quite unique. We have quite a unique relationship with chocolate, mm. right? Because it's kind of it's we sell it everywhere and right. we eat it all the time. Where in other cultures, there's an awful normally, lot of it as well now, yeah, isn't it? I mean, every loads. single place you go, you don't just get you know Kit Kat. You can now get about five different varieties of Kit Kat. Should we ask Oliver what his favourite chocolate is? What is your favourite chocolate? My personal favourite is probably Ferrero Rocher because is it good choice? I do really. I just like the hazelnut and it's got like Nutella, which okay. you know I like. How many of those have you eaten at one time? I got a lot of Christmas, so I do. Right. And, uh, we actually had some... Um, one of my favourites is, is chocolate peanuts and raisins together, which you can't get in a lot of places now. No. In pick and mix places, yeah. like in cinemas, they've stopped doing it because of the nut allergy people. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a little country store that I go to down in Sussex. It's like a farm shop, and they do little packets of is that home? Is that homemade over there? I think so. To- chocolate, nuts and raisins together. Oh, wow. And it's fantastic. We had some last night while we, we were did. watching Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Nice. Don't tell his mother. Oh, well, she's <laughs> and she not, might be she's, listening. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, we've got some Easter eggs here. Yeah. So, um, so tell us about uh, Easter. So, eighty million eggs are sold every year. Blimey. For for Easter, the average child gets they spend fifty people spend fifty six pounds um, per per child. Really? On eggs? That's yeah. A lot so of money, isn't so it? parents spend about twenty five. We pounds. actually haven't done many Easter eggs this year, have we? Because so far, his his older sister brought him one. Yeah. Uh, when she came to visit. But I think that's the only one you've had, isn't it? Yeah, I know. So this is, uh, I can catch so up. So this is like a sort of busman's <laughs> holiday here. So the average child gets about eight eggs a wow. year, uh, which they eat over about four days. Okay. Which I think is quite a long time, actually. And like, is there a sort of number one egg that people like? So, in general, what used to happen is you used to used to kind of get a hollow egg, right. with, with which is branded up with your favourite chocolate bar, and you get two or three bars yeah. of your favourite chocolate. Right. But this year, 
there's been some innovation in really? this. Really? Yeah. So f- for years, chocolate fanatics like myself have been saying, do you know what? Mm. I'm a bit bored of this plain old egg. Right. So in response to this, the big companies have, have released eggs which contain some of their favourite chocolate bars within it. Okay. Right in front of me now, I've got the giant big Cadbury's um, yes. egg, which is a Cadbury's crunchy egg, which has crunchy in it. Now, I see you're doing what I do. I was going to ask you, because I had this conversation with somebody else about the etiquette of yeah. breaking the egg. I break it while it's still inside the wrapper. I do exactly what you just yeah. did, which hit it with my fist, and it cracks inside the wrapper. Yeah, like, see, if I do... Just give it a go. Right, here we go. You do that. And then it, it stays within there, right? But it's, but it's in fact, ready to eat. Because oh, right. I think that's the most polite well, way you. of doing it. Because yeah. you don't... If I'm, you know, I'm going to offer out you the this egg, I, okay. which I've just smashed... Thank you very much. ...outside the wrapper. Yeah. I but if you, you probably don't want my fist having been all over the chocolate. Not really, no. Eaten. There's yeah. nothing inside it, though. No, but there's, it, within the egg, mm. within the chocolate, there should be bits of crunchy in it. Oh, wow. Republic of Mike Graham, you know what to do. 0344 499 1000. It is, of course, Good Friday. It is the beginning of Easter weekend. Loads of you uh, will be heading off in some direction or another. Uh, good luck if you're going uh, by train, particularly if you're going to try and get from Houston, because Houston is shut for four days. The roads are all going to be messed up. And, of course, Swampy and his mates are all going to be out and about over at Heathrow trying to stop you from flying anywhere. Let's talk to Will Geddes and see if he's got any good ideas uh, of how we get rid of these idiots. Will, a very good morning to you. Happy Easter. Good morning, Chief. Happy Easter yeah. to you too. Now, listen, I had a great idea suggested to me by somebody the other day who said, why don't we just get rid of all their tents, right? Just sweep up all of the kind of uh, you know street furniture that these people are carrying with them. They'll have nowhere to shelter, they'll have nowhere to sleep, and they'll end up having to disappear off. Well, exactly. I think uh, there are a number of different things that could be done, uh, Mike, but I think that the, the biggest challenge is, is that the powers that be within, uh, unfortunately, the police force, and I have some really good mates within the police force, and they've got a horrendous task on their hands right now, but the decision makers are considering whatever actions they take, how would it look in the Daily Mail tomorrow? And, and as a direct result, I know certainly friends of mine within the police who are very frustrated, they can't take more direct action, obviously, of removing those individuals that are, you know, they've been given a dedicated area in Marble Arch, as you know, Mike, yeah. but they're illegally protesting and causing disruption across many parts of London, which will have major implications. Well, this is right. I mean, we were just told by a former police officer that, well, you know, they're not breaking any laws. Well, surely they're breaking all sorts of laws by occupying a bridge, which is by and large a highway, uh, which is by and large a throughway, which is by and large a mode of transportation for people to get around the city. And what they're doing is c- causing complete and utter chaos in all sorts of other roads around the river because people are having to avoid Waterloo. Surely there's something we can do about them not being on Waterloo Bridge. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges is also that many of them are actually willingly wanting to get arrested. You know, it's their badge of honour to be arrested. And unfortunately, the police, with the protesting, have to release them. They come back and then fundamentally you're back in a vicious cycle where it's not changing. But going to your point, absolutely. The bridges are the arterial connection from north to south of London, as we both know, mm. and many of the listeners will know. It's critical for our infrastructure. It's critical for the police to respond to incidents. I mean, the Violet Crimes Unit have had all leave cancelled for the entire Easter weekend. So, you know, we've got enough problems with stabbings, violent crime, as well as obviously an elevated level of terrorism threat yeah. to have to be dealing with these clowns who are running around, which, albeit I I'm all for climate change. But you know what? The front page of the mirror yesterday, I think, had more impact on me than this lot causing disruption to the rest of us Londoners. Yes, absolutely right. How about this for a text from Jonesy, who says, uh, that ex-copper must have been teaching the new recruits how to dance rather than nicking people. As a Millwall fan, I can guarantee if I tried to disrupt London, I'd be dragged to the back of the nearest police van to be advised where I was going wrong. Which he's right yeah. about, right? <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I was having this debate with a friend of mine in the police yesterday, and we were we were talking about the difference between the footage that's been released of obviously police officers dancing along skateboarding and doing good and stuff. Which is pretty embarrassing, I have to say, Will. I'm not interested in it's community horrendous. policing. I don't mind if they do that at Notting Hill Carnival, but not at this. Well, exactly. That was our point. You know, at Notting Hill Carnival, you kind of get it. You know, it's, it's a hearts and minds, and it's really important for the police to, to develop and uh, continually move this hearts and minds within communities. But to do it with an illegal demonstration, it's almost like collusion, yeah, Michael. I'm, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a lawyer, but surely there are aspos, there are restricting public highways and causing an obstruction to the emergency services and the general public. I'm sure there's a long list of crimes that these individuals are perpetrating by taking up their encampments in areas which they're not authorised yeah, to right. do. I mean, we can, we can enforce football banning orders, we can enforce banning orders uh, for people to not go out at night, we can enforce people uh, to stay in particular areas. Surely we can ban these people, from the, particularly the ones that have been arrested, and there's more than 400 of them, uh, from ever coming back. Well, absolutely, and there should be exclusion orders, obviously, from them not being able to rejoin and create that vicious cycle, as yeah. we were talking about before. But I think, the, you know, the, the fundamental concern is, you know, everybody, I think, understands uh, climate change issues have to be addressed. And I think everybody, in a positive sense, uh, would want to support that. But this is a counterproductive series of demonstrations, which are just causing misery and mayhem, yeah. not only for the general public, but also the implications of the cost going on beyond this in terms of, uh, police officers needed to reclaim the leave. Many of them are working beyond the 12-hour stags that they're currently on, yeah. plus all the policing costs. There are over a 1,000 police officers who have been deployed to deal with these situations, Michael. Do you think there's an issue with the, uh, the general belief that the people who are demonstrating are overly, I would say, qualified and middle class rather than uh, sort of, you know, working class oiks, football supporters, that kind of thing? You know, dare I say it, Brexit, pro-Brexit marches, you know, and Tommy Robinson fans, because if they were those, I'm sure that the police would be treating them differently. I'm also hearing that they're quite well sort of briefed legally, some of these protesters, so they kind of know their rights in a way perhaps that others don't. And maybe that's what the police are frightened of. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and the, the police do have to follow the letter of the law, and quite rightly so. But, you know, the, 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 we're looking at the hypocrisy to a certain extent. I was up in Oxford Circus yesterday, Mike, yeah. and I was wandering around having a look. Now, I'll tell you what, I saw an awful lot of plastic bags. I saw an awful oh, yeah. lot 
of of other elements which I would have thought was on their sort of no-nos list of things that should be done and things they're trying to change. So, you know, look, I, I've had a few rounds with people on social media about this, mm. um, but underlying it, yes, climate change is an important issue, but well, I think is. how they're going about it is not brilliant. Yeah, but also climate change is an important issue which has been treated as a very important issue for decades now. I mean, I said to people until I'm blue in the face, you know, why don't we uh, imp- impose a green tax on uh, all the flights that we take out of this country? Why don't we put a massive green levy uh, on all the energy that we buy from energy companies? Why don't we put a massive road tax uh, on our cars and a huge and even bigger tax on the fuel that we put in those cars? And then you go, oh, yeah, but we already do all that. You know, we're already paying a massive amount of money into the tax system because of climate change and because we're supposed to be doing something about it. But what I find astonishing is these people, Will, have literally got got some kind of mass hypnosis problem going on where they actually believe the world is going to end. Well, you know what? There's this kind of virtue signalling, and I, I'm just loving that phrase right now, Mike, Me too. because they're... There are a lot of individuals that I'm seeing that are connected to this, which I would challenge whether they are actually doing their contribution, their personal contribution to reducing carbon footprint. And I think fundamentally there are a number of celebrities that have turned up who I'm sure probably came in on their private jet. So, you know, there there is some hypocrisy here and there's ways to demonstrate. And I'm not against demonstration. I think protest and demonstration is important if it's done with a productive means to engage the populace. Hello, John. Why is the sheer hypocrisy of this that really gets to oh, me? Oh, God, yes. I mean, you've got people flying across the Atlantic, I gather, Emma Thompson. Yeah. In order to protest about global... I mean, what's the... What's, <laughs> it's terrible, I'm, I'm it? almost incoherent with it. But, and it's the same with what they're doing. For what, I mean, we go camping on holiday because we can't afford anything better. But we pay for a campsite. Yeah. And we clear up after this. The complete trashing that seems to be going on. The parts, I mean, I don't know. I live nowhere near London, of course. Uh, if you really want to do something about global warming, go out in your garden, grow some vegetables, like, oh, yeah. like I do. I was just plant some trees or something, right? Cocaine. And you know, but but the, this, uh, oh, um, words fail me. But you get people like uh, Attenborough mm. flying around the world in order to promote. Uh, the, the well, imagine imagine the imagine the carbon footprint of that show that he puts on, right? Absolutely. And it's the same with the carbon footprint of these people who are creating chaos in London. Yeah. And why are the police allowing them to do it? I've no idea. It, it absolutely mean, beggars it's, belief. It's insane. It is. If I was to go camping somewhere in the middle of London, I'd be arrested with a Also, do you know what, you John? In my, in my sort of young days, I used, there used to be a guy walking up and down uh, Oxford Street saying the end is nigh, right? He had a big... Oh, yeah, sort of board that he used. Yeah, he was treated as a nutter, right? This guy was a nutter. However, we're now taking supposedly seriously the views of these people who tell us exactly the same. They might as well all have the same board walking up and down Waterloo Bridge saying the end is nigh. Well, well I'm, I'm sorry, the end isn't bloody that nigh. The end of the world's come and go. It's just ludicrous. Oh, I can't believe it. It's shocking. I mean, I drive a vehicle because I live in Lincolnshire. Yeah. You need to get about. Um, you also pay an awful lot of tax to do so. 
prepared lot of tax to do so, and that's fair enough. And I agree with it. And I also use my vehicle to take people to and from hospital. I'm a member of the voluntary car service scheme. Right. And because I'm in everywhere in Lincolnshire, it's a long way. Well, I don't know how that you're supposed to live and get medical treatment if we're carbon neutral in 2025. Well, it, it would be impossible. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 uh, there's car service, voluntary car service all over Lincolnshire. And uh, the one I belong to has six drivers. Between us, we do about between 120 and 130 visits a month. Yes. Uh, I mean, the ambulance service couldn't cope with that. Mm. No, of course not. Well, it can't cope now, the ambulance service. But if you had no ambulances at all... The local doctors. Well, if you have... I mean, what are you supposed to do? Take people backwards and forwards on a horse and cart? Let's talk to Ali Murphy, though, because there is an airline story to be done as long as the airlines are still flying. And, of course, as long as um, uh, Emma Thompson's around, the airlines will still be kept in business. Norwegian Air, one of the great success stories of recent years uh, in the airline business, a budget airline. A lot of people now use it to fly to all parts of the world. They're in a bit of hot water, apparently, because it turns out uh, they've got some very sexist policy, despite the fact that Norway is one of the least sexist places in the world, apparently. It's a gender-equal country. They say if you work for them and you are a woman, you have to wear high heels at all times. Ali, a very good um, afternoon to you. Welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon. Now, you're a former cabin crew with Virgin Atlantic, which used to have those great adverts of the women's and the men sort of strolling through the airport, the airport terminal, looking terribly sexy and very, very sort of handsome and, and pretty at the same time. The men I'm talking about, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and some great sort of red outfits, quite tight skirts, high heels for the women, all of that. It's all gone a bit mad now, hasn't it? Because did I not read that Richard Branson's now declared that the women don't have to wear makeup if they don't want to? Yeah, I think. I mean, I mean, I was quite happy with that because just anything that gives uh, women choice and men choice mm. is, is a good thing. I mean, the high heels. Yeah, you might have looked sexy strutting through the airport in those heels, but you take that off, they were blood filled. It was horrific. <laughs> those shoes were the worst shoes I've ever worn in my life, and I'm I'm not the only one. There was a huge percentage of us that ended up in hospital having operations on our feet really? because of those heels. Right. So, so yeah, Blimey. I wasn't a fan of those things. Well, well. Um, so how have Norwegian Air managed to get away with it for so long in this day and age? I have no idea. I mean. Uh, I guess, you know, uniform is something, you know, it represents the company, it represents the brand, um, but then you're putting on women to be uncomfortable at work and yeah. insisting that, that a certain gender wear something that they might find uncomfortable. If they want to, then great. If they, I mean, a lot of women love wearing heels. It makes them feel powerful. It makes them feel um, sexy. It makes, you know, all of those are things that we wear heels for, and, and that's great. They've got the option to do it. But if your feet are bleeding and you can only um, go to uh, the lower heel if you bring a doctor's note, yeah. which, you know, that's basically which is what their rule was, days. right? Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, it was, fair, it was like that at Virgin for a very long time. I'm mm. not sure on the rules now um, uh, since I left, but uh, you had to have a doctor. Now I had to go to occupational health and prove that I couldn't wear the heels. Um, and cause, and they, were, they were only, there was high heels, mid heels or low heels. You've got a choice of three heels, but either way, you might not necessarily be. And they were always red, right? Always red, uh, unless uh, if you were, if you had the doctor's note and you weren't wearing the heels, you got to wear ugly black ones. <laughs> you stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, <laughs> well, amazingly, yeah, so I'm looking at I'm looking at the story in the Times today, right? Apparently, they've got a 22-page dress code Norwegian Air uh, in which it says that they must also wear makeup, although uh, they can have light foundation, cream uh, with colour uh, or powder. False eyelashes are allowed unless they look strange. 
<laughs> I love it. I put that addendum in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it was the same at Virgin until until recently that, yeah. that you had to have that. And you know, you want you want um, people at work who are representing your brand to be re- presentable, and you want them to have the, the face of the company. And um, but I think in this day and age, you have to have choice about how you present yourself and how you make that. Um, face to the world, and yeah. I'm not necessarily saying being you know, being part of the great unwashed that go to work, but just being presentable in your own way. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, but at the same time, there is a sort of give and take here, isn't there? Because if you are presenting yourself as uh, an employee of a particular company, like for example, when I go into a department store, I wouldn't expect to be treated uh, by somebody who was kind of dressed sloven in a slovenly way, and they wouldn't have to necessarily wear a uniform. But if they were sort of grubby, I mean, I'm in a pub the other day, right? And the guy behind the, the bar was so filthy that we, I mean, I was drinking with a couple of friends of mine. We were like, you know, the guy actually smells quite bad. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I'm not going back there until he's gone. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want that. And, and so, there, yeah, there has to be a line drawn, I think. But I don't see where high heels comes as if you're not wearing high heels, no. then you must be a slovenly slob. No, no, of course, I'm not I'm not conflating the two things. But but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, it's reasonable, is it not, to expect people to be well turned out. And if their uniform is involved, they kind of have to be specific about what you can wear. A bit like school uniform. You know, when I was at school, you weren't allowed to wear platform shoes. But I did anyway. <laughs> That's the point we all you know. did, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I know. And also, you were, you had to wear a white shirt. You couldn't wear a different coloured shirt. You know, you had to kind of go along with it. I remember when I was at school, and, and this is something that really affected me as a woman. I had to, um, we had to wear our skirts a certain length, an inch, inch below or inch above the knee. And I rebelled and wore really baggy, a long maxi skirt and oh, a really you? baggy jumper. And I got into trouble right. for not wearing a shorter skirt. Right. So, and, and that blew my mind that that um, the, the rather that a 14-year-old girl would rather show more leg yeah. at school than part Well, I've got some very bad news for you, because if you see the 14-year-old girls that go to school with my son now, I mean, they're barely wearing skirt at all. <laughs> see, there's got to be a middle line somewhere, hasn't yeah. there? Yeah, that really does. So, I mean, I guess the future for airline crew um, is, is going to get more and more relaxed then, and there's going to have to be presumably different choices. I think they've now got different choices of uniform that you can wear at Virgin, haven't they? Yes, they do, yeah. So you can wear trousers, for example, if you're a woman now. And I think this is really an important point that nobody's really touched on, is that that the cabin crew's job, you tend to be doing 12-hour-plus shifts and yet you're still expected to wear uncomfortable footwear or or, or uniforms yeah. um, that are too tight or too you know they can't, you can't bend over in. So shouldn't our uniforms, whilst being smart and representative of the company, also be practical for the job that you're doing? Yes, absolutely. I would also quite like to see some kind of dress code for the passengers, to be honest, because the way some people dress to get on a plane, uh, particularly if they're going somewhere hot, is quite remarkable. I can't stand now people... That, at, I, I, I would completely agree with you there. No <laughs> bikinis on board. No bikinis. <laughs> He's also none of those really horrible like shell suits that people wear, which I find personally <laughs> quite offensive. Or onesies. That was the new onesies, thing that, yeah. when I was leaving. Yeah, everyone was wearing onesies on the flight. Blimey, yeah. They must be completely naked in the toilet. Yes. Just trying to get now, you must. I'm not going to let you go before you tell me a funny story. You must have some funny stories of when you were a, a member of the cabin crew and finding people in strange situations or walking in on people or something. You must have something. So, um, yeah, I guess actually, probably uh, this is a good story that, regarding what you wear on flights. Um, one time, it was a night flight, everybody was asleep, we're yeah. walking through the cabin, and um, we had to check people, the seatbelt signs came on, we had to check that people are safe, so we had to check the seatbelt signs. Right. And if people put their blanket over the top of their seatbelts, mm. we have to see if that seatbelt's done up. <laughs> so uh, I was cruising through the cabin with my little torch, and there was a guy with a blanket on his lap, so... 
I kind of lifted the blanket up to see if his seatbelt one uh, was on, and he had nothing on under there. <laughs> Belts, not his pants. Tremendous. Nothing. Oh dear. <laughs> Shocking story. Well, I'm glad you had... I knew you'd have something like that to tell us. Ali, thank you very much indeed. Ali Murphy there, uh, former cabin crew with Virgin Atlantic. When you were forced to wear high heels, uh, apparently up to now, in Norwegian air, you had to do the same. But that's likely to change. As I said, um, there is a middle ground. I wouldn't make anybody wear high heels. I can't imagine anything more uncomfortable. Um, but you've got to still have some kind of standard of dress, have you not? Uh, 0344 We're nearly done here, by the way. Uh, but coming up next, uh, my son... Oliver is going to make his appearance, his, his debut appearance on the radio uh, because he's going to come in and taste some chocolate eggs. Uh, he can't believe his luck. He woke up this morning and uh, I had to persuade him to come in to work with me. But once I told him it was going to be some free chocolate, he was very happy. Uh, Mark Machado is going to be here. Uh, he is, of course, from the Confectionery Cast podcast. Uh, and he's going to be casting his eye over loads and loads of different types of Easter eggs. I didn't have any idea how different they all were. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk.